Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast. We talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared. And today we have a very unique episode. We got some guests on Alan Smith and Jessica Midkiff. They are two individuals who have written a book about uh, human sex trafficking. The book is called Men Fight for Me, The Role of Authentic Masculinity and Ending Sexual Exploitation and Trafficking. So they both co-wrote this book. Uh, Alan, uh, he is the executive director of a Saving Innocence Project, which is an anti-human trafficking uh, organization. He uh, leads this up, and what they do is they work in the L.A. area to when someone is identified by the police as to being a victim of uh, child sex trafficking, mostly teens, uh, average age about 12, he said. Uh, they are uh, notified, and this organization helps those kids. Uh, Jessica, she works with Alan, uh, but she was actually a victim of human trafficking herself. Uh, she was uh, sucked into this world for several years, uh, and uh, she has come out of that, obviously, and is being an advocate for survivors, uh, and their story is very interesting, uh, and I think this is one topic that many people don't know about. Uh, one of the things is that that Alan says is it's it's closer to home than you think uh, and it's more prevalent than you think. Uh, so this is a great episode and excited to share this with you guys. All right, let's get into it. Let's do it. Spartans, what is your profession? Any man who must say I am the king is no true king. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare. If I can change and you can change... Everybody can change! Let us all unite! Let us fight for a new world! A decent world! All right, hello, Jessica and uh, Alan. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, We are so pleased to have you on the podcast today. You guys are going to share some great insights uh, and really shed some light on uh, on something that I think many people don't know about. So thank you both for joining. Well, thanks for having us. We're uh, pleased to be here. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, so our, uh, our, our, our topic today is going to be really around the topic of, of human trafficking and sex trafficking. And, you know, it's something that, that I think a lot of people hear about. Um, I, I think in social media, maybe it's been more prevalent over the past several years, uh, but still it's just kind of this mysterious thing that we hear about. And especially, you know, I, I have, Jared and I both have four little kids. And so we, we, we think about these types of things. And it was a great opportunity to talk with, with you guys and to see, uh, you know, what are some different things that, that we can do as, as men, as parents, as, as people to be better stewards of, of uh, the community and those, those around us. And so uh, maybe we could just kick it off uh, at, at the beginning here. Would you just do a brief introduction of yourself, maybe a little bit of your background with the, the topic, and uh, then we'll get into some more specific questions from there. Sounds good. Um, I'll kick off and then Jess can follow me. My name is uh, Alan Smith, and I'm the executive director of an anti-trafficking agency called Saving Innocence, found at savingnocence.org. And um, I have the privilege and honor to lead that team. And we are up to our eyeballs in the recovery and the restoration of mostly child victims of sex trafficking, although lately we have branched out into working with adults as well. Uh, by way of introduction, that's my day job. You know, the most important part of, of who I am is uh, married to a great woman named Sharon for 38 years. Come on. And, that's a long uh, time. <laughs> that's right. And uh, a son and a daughter. And uh, in about two weeks, we're going to go visit my son and his wife. Uh, they live in Texas, actually. They moved there recently because they let us know that we're about to be grandparents for the first time. Oh, so congratulations. Nice. <laughs> we're going to go check in on them and see how they're doing. But uh, that's me in a nutshell. Very good. Thank you so much, Alan. And hi, I'm Jessica Midkiff. I work for Saving Innocence. Um, I am a program development specialist right now. Um, I've done mostly direct services for over 10 years. Um, I've done it for maybe about four years um, at Saving Innocence and moved over to helping in a different um, way, which I'm very happy about. Uh, let's see, I am a survivor of commercial sexual exploitation. 
Um, I am the co-author of Men Fight For Me, the book that I co-authored with Alan, which was a huge blessing. I am a mother of an adult. Uh, she's in the Navy oh, nice. and doing her thing. And um, yeah, I'm a proud mom and I'm just happy to be here today. Thank you guys. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, th- those are great uh, intros. Uh, Jessica, I wanted to maybe start with you and, and talk to you. As you mentioned, you were uh, a victim of this uh, sex trafficking. I wanted to talk, maybe first, can you help us understand what is uh, sex trafficking? Uh, Yeah, go ahead. So commercial sexual exploitation is someone being bought and sold against their will, and there's a lot that goes along with it. And usually the tactics that bring someone into that are uh, force, fraud, and coercion. And it takes a very long time for s- someone that's being commercially s- exploited to um, leave the life. So it's sexual exploitation. Forced fraud. And, and co- what is forced forced fraud? What, can you help, what is that? So or, forced, yeah. usually, it, so it comes in many different ways. The forced portion is kind oh, okay. of like, usually what people think of is when someone's being kidnapped, abducted, um, something where it's like, physically usually against their will that's how usually people see it the fraud part is you know taking that time uh the fraud and coercion kind of go hand in hand where the people take their time to get to know the person get information out of them um they'll use like fraudulent acts to hold against someone basically kind of like bribing them hmm. in order to get the end result um and a lot of times too it it all runs together so there's not like one singular way someone gets put in yeah um usually it's uh, a combination of all three the force part mm-hmm. um and you could be uh forced verbally or physically um the fraud and coercion of just like pulling as much information to hold against someone in order to get the end result of being able to sell and abuse them i see i don't know if alan wants to add to that well no i mean we'll get there um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important for your listeners to know that um, the, the fourth part, it, it really is oftentimes an incredibly violent relationship, incredibly brutal. Uh, it's just that saving innocence. Uh-huh. About a year ago, we had a memorial service for about 15 of our kids, our minors, our children that had been murdered or killed, otherwise killed as a result of this entrapment wow. and uh, by a trafficker. So uh it's, you know, there, there's a version of force. Well, yeah, you're going to, you know, you, you might, you said you had four kids, each of you. I think you said that you yep, have four kids. We do, yeah. You might force them to go to bed or something, but at no time, I'm sure, are you threatening their life if they don't go to bed. Yeah. And so it's really tragic that um, so many, and especially many, many minors and children are living under um, such a, a brutal and vital, uh, violent existence. So, so it sounds like you guys are mainly working with kids, you said. Uh do you, in my mind, I'm kind of imagining a couple, two main different paths this might happen. Uh, one is maybe the parents in home are exploiting their children for this, uh, or children just get kidnapped and taken somewhere. Are, are those kind of the two different main scenarios we run into, or how does that work? Go ahead, Jess. Oh, so... um it, there is a such thing as interfamilial pimping, which a lot of people have heard of, and you usually see it like in movies and stuff like that, or you hear about a parent that's on drugs and they exploit their child in order to like, you know, get paid or something, the drugs or whatever that is. But it looks interfamilial pimping looks. Um, there's a lot of different categories to that. And we have seen kids where they were kind of prompted to by their family and then possibly handed off to someone um, to continue the exploitation. And a lot of times uh, friends of mine that friends of mine that are survivors um, have been exploited by family members, um, parents in particular. And there are some that were very well off that came from like very like affluent um, communities, everything like that. They were not in need of the money. Um, and there was a, a friend of mine that was exploited by her mother and her father separately for their own financial gains. And she was able to get to college and basically, you know, write out like, I'm here, don't talk to me, I don't want to see you again, whatever it was. Um, and that was never how like the media kind of portrays where it's just like the drug addict family. So we yeah. do see um, families that do definitely do that, or they'll groom their child to be handed off to an exploiter that's not related to them, mm-hmm. which that's a whole other business opportunity for them or situation in general. Um, and then we do see a lot of kidnap, 
but what I've seen over the years of doing the work is that the kids are already actually in the life, unfortunately. Okay. And then they're basically kidnapped from one exploiter to another, um, depending on the situation. And not saying that there are not kids that get kidnapped. Yeah. But the like common that we see as of nowadays is gang affiliation um, and significant other relationships. Okay. So those are the two like we're seeing a lot of. And then we do see some where um, there are people approaching kids and adults um, promising a better life in, you know, Hollywood, in the movies, in the music industry, and in modeling. And that's one of the other really big ways, too. And then we're just in, like, this whole um, kind of, like, movement now where it's cool to be exploited huh. or, you know, the, the overly sexual objectification of, sexualization and objectification of girls and women you're yep. seeing a lot of that too so there there's so many different ways someone can get into it but the most common we've seen over the years and Allie, you can correct me too or add to it but it's mostly like the the significant other relationships so boyfriend girlfriend boyfriend boyfriend girlfriend girlfriend um or you know the the gang affiliations where they're kind of picking out of their own backyard okay yeah so we're talking probably teens you know that teens and up, you kind of age range. Mostly, yeah, the, the the average age of entry statistically is around twelve or thirteen years old. Okay, kind of in that, that ballpark. That's the average age, so you know what that means. Yeah, and um, you know, so a vulnerable kid who grew up in a adverse situation, who's already been neglected and abused in some way, uh, enters the boyfriend for the first time ever. Someone has paying attention to her in that way. She's 13, 14 years old. And uh, suddenly he starts making promises to her and saying things she's never heard, like how beautiful she is and how valuable she is. And next thing you know, they're in a relationship the entire time. He's a predator and he has bad intentions, but she doesn't know the difference because she's never seen a good, healthy male. Wow. Uh, that particular victim's never seen it. Her own dad has not been there at all. Or if he was there, it was a negative uh, experience. And so in walks is 17, 18, 19, 20, or who knows what age promising her the world and she falls for it. And um, wow. off we go into the, the dark abyss of being sold for sex a dozen times a day. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Jessica, uh, I was just thinking whenever you're talking about, you know, the objectification of women and everything else. And it, it is kind of, I don't know, the, 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 the world we're in today, it's kind of a sex sells economy, right? And you just, you just go on social media in general and that's what it is. I mean, you just, you're flipping through and it's almost like these people are to a certain extent, kind of exploiting themselves on social media for some sort of, you know, I don't know, maybe it's monetary feedback or whatever else. And, and I think that example, um, you know, is just, it's just something that, that, that I see that I want to potentially protect I don't know, my, my family and my, my kids from. But I know that you said that you, you, you had experience with, with this, uh, you know, I guess this, this industry and, I'm sure that it's a sensitive subject, but I would like to maybe ask a couple questions just about the background of that. And, you know, how how did you, or maybe at what age, or how did you get uh, a little bit of your personal experience and get caught up in, in, in this? Oh, yeah. Do we have time? <laughs> <laughs> as much as you would like to share, obviously. Most definitely. Thank you. That's really good. A good question. So, I got into it very early, but like a lot of kids that we work with, not all, but the major a majority that we see, um, I came from a very abusive background. So mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, my family, even though everyone was hardworking, we were not even, I don't even think middle class. Um, so everything was kind of like, you know, hand to mouth on a regular basis. Um, I had really great grandparents. My grandmother was a preschool teacher and she was my preschool teacher. My grandfather was a pastor and he also worked um, for a few major like corporations. He was very techy, um, but just, you know, taking care of a really big family was very difficult. Um, my mother was a teen mother, which a lot of our kids are teen moms. I was a teen mom. Um, that was something that that's kind of like at the forefront, especially where I grew up, which was like in the inner city. Um, and, you know, I think some of the biggest things early on, of course, was the abuse. I mean, once you're beaten down in so many different ways, um, it's easy to fall into the hands of someone that, like Alan said, says, oh, you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're different. Oh, you deserve this. And they don't have the best intentions for you. Um, I did start out roughly with the abuse and also um, being exploited by a family member, which some of that is in the book. Um, 
but just kind of moving forward with it, you know, I'm biracial, my father's German, my mother is black mixed. Um, so back in those days, I didn't really fit in, which we see a lot with our kids now, regardless of their race or whatever. There's a lot of like needing to fit in and not truly fitting in. And I mean, what kid doesn't want to, they need to, it's almost a full on need. So if you don't have the new tennis shoes or the new sweaters or new phone or whatever, it's kind of like life is not worth living. Right. Yep. Um, and it was still kind of along those lines back then. And, um, and I basically kind of started out my, my introduction into sex in exchange for money was under like the guise of cleaning houses, which is in the book too. It goes a little bit into detail. Um, and the people that were supposed to protect me did not, you know, I was told I was the test in front of men. I had like this really pretty long hair, I was light skin and all this kind of stuff. And we have a lot of mixed folks walking around today, but back in those days, we were kind of far and in between. Um, so I was seen as an actual like commodity. Um, and there were so many other things and like, you know, our kids are just like searching for love and I was searching for love and I was searching for protection and I was searching for respect and admiration and all these different emotional and mental things and I wasn't receiving it. And so like when I would go and talk to the kids, I really noticed that this was a common thing of this is some of these really big things that are going on. And of course my father unfortunately wasn't in the picture. So there wasn't really too many men to stand up and actually fight for me, um, which kind of left me open to so many different predators. And of course, you know, as time went on, you know, I was raped, I was, you know, molested unfortunately. Um, and just like the verbal beatdowns every day and, and being pushed into servitude at a young age, you know, was just disheartening. You know, it felt like there's no way for me to get out. And this is along the lines of what our kids feel too. And so when I started getting propositioned by others outside of, you know, the people that I had known and that were supposed to protect me, um, it was easier to go and do what I did with them rather than the people that were supposed to be there for me. Yeah. Um, and it was like a false sense of uh, control. Like, okay, I've been raped, but at least if I go out here and do this and it's not with these people anymore, it's with someone else, at least I can put a price on it. At least I can say when, at least I can say how, you know, even though that wasn't true either, it was that false sense of, and because of that, it was very difficult to get out and it just continued to grow and manifest in so many bad ways. And so that's like with our kids, why it takes so long sometimes for them to get out. If we get them early on an entry, a lot of that emotional, we can start working on. And the really big piece is people don't understand is the emotional, the, the, the cherry on the top is the, you know, the financial distress and stuff like that, but everything kind of starts inward and then starts pushing outward. Um, and of course, you know, one of the things I, with me not fitting in on top of my race and how I looked was, um, you know, I didn't have all the new cool clothes. And so I was teased and I was bothered and, you know, I was chased home and life was just not a good, it wasn't a good life. And so there was this promise from this guy that was like, we could do this, you and me against the world. Let's go make it happen. And that was kind of like my tip off into fully being in that life. But, you know, early on, um, I think as early as three years old was my first memory of the abuse. Oh, you know, by 10, I was already introduced. By 11, I was already fully in. Wow. You know, so, yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, you know, that, that's just something that, I can't even pretend to completely comprehend, but almost being just completely treated like a commodity. And that's, that's just what you are is you're just a, 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 you know, something to be, to be sold or to be used in, in being in that position. I can't imagine of not having someone to be able to specifically turn to for rescue kind of, you know, what, what you said. And I think that really ties back to, I mean, I guess kind of the, you know, the, the, the title of your book, right? Men fight for me. And you said you didn't, you didn't have a father figure, someone that, that, that was there to, to really protect you from, from these types of situations. Uh, is that, is that kind of, uh, you know, how does masculinity and everything tie into what, what we're seeing? I mean, how do you think, and Alan, this question for you too, that, uh, 
do you think that a, a man or a father figure in the home would have uh, would have caused a different outcome? Uh, yeah, the question we answered in the book I, in the, one of the first chapters, I think it's, I asked the question, what does authentic masculinity have to do with this crime, this problem? And the answer is everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, just going to speak on her behalf of what it was like to not have a father in the home and what that did to her self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera. We see that over and over again. From my perspective, you know, as, as, you, as we mentioned, we work at Saving Innocence and uh, by far the historical database will tell us that by far most of the buyers of sex are men and most of the sellers, the traffickers are men. There are women involved, but by far it's dominated by men. And um, so, you know, we, uh, we, Jessica and I, Jessica was on a panel with uh, a few other ladies talking about this issue, sharing their perspectives. And the, the one lady uh, who I didn't know at the time, since then has become a friend, was telling her story. And she said in the middle of her trauma, I could no longer fight for myself. I needed someone to fight for me. And, and that sort of lit me up because all of a sudden, okay, here's my lane. Jessica has a lane that I, I can't be in and yeah. i have a lane that maybe she can't be in but the biggest part of this problem is men it's a, it's indisputable and so men aren't going to be corrected on you know pornography and strip clubs and actually going to the place of buying sex from some a stranger they're not going to be corrected by other women yeah most likely uh they're gonna we're gonna need good strong men to stand up look them in the eye and say no more not on my watch you're not gonna do this we're not gonna do this guys this, we got to be better than this yeah um, so we added the word men to the title and uh, because we wanted to show up on men's podcasts and men's interviews and men's searches and those kinds of things, because men are the pro- we're the problem, guys. All of us we're the problem. Well, like we said, it's kind of both sides of that, right? The one that's that's purchasing it, the mass majority is men, and the one that's selling it is mass majority of men. And so, if you can fix the the, the I guess that problem with masculinity and the, the men problem of you know fixing it and and getting people to understand that that's not the right thing to do on both sides, then you can almost try to take it, you know, take it out from within. But I mean, that's a massive feat. We, we can literally, we know the answer to how to end human trafficking and sex trafficking. You know, if you, something goes wrong with your body or your car or your house or something, you get an expert, they know where it is. They pinpoint the problem. They can, you know, take an X-ray or an MRI or whatever. They, if they know what it is, now you have a chance of actually coming up with a remedy or a cure to whatever the problem is. Well, this is very clear. The problem is men. And um, I think the biggest mistake that us men can make is hearing some of what Jessica said, looking at this problem. Well, I'm not abusing my child. I, I'm not out buying sex. Like, so you, I'm tuning out. This isn't for me. Right. And the, that would be a huge mistake because all of us have a role to play. And all of us guys, if we're not actively down that dark path of actually participating in, in that way, we're passively allowing it to happen. And someone might say, well, I'm not allowing it to happen. Then I would say, well, is it happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, then you're allowing it to happen. Yeah. Like we have to bind together. We got to link arms and we got to stamp this out. And it's, it's time for men to show up and shine and be strong. And we're living in a day and age where it's almost, you almost get in trouble for even saying that. Yeah. Uh, the, the answer to bad men doing bad things is not making all the good men shrink away and, and be neutral yeah. because that's going to create a bigger gap that bad men are going to step into. Yep. We need good men to be more masculine, authentically healthy, powerful masculine in the best sense, adding hope and positivity and strength to confront the bad men who are up to no good. We know what the problem is. That means that we're 50% there. We know what the solution is. Yeah. I, I mean, while, while, I mean, that's so powerful what you just said. And I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't just ask the question outrightly, what is it that we can do? Uh, you know, I, I think there's some things out there, like I've heard that, um, you know, maybe people aren't going to their local strip club or, or propositioning women on the street that are likely or possibly trafficked. But I do know that, uh, I think recently it came out that a majority of pornography on Pornhub was from trafficked women. Uh, and so stuff like that, you know, people who are going to these, these websites and things are, are, are supporting that they're supporting, uh, you know, in a way that, that human trafficking. And I think that's, you know, that's one step that I can see, but what are the steps that men can take to stand up against this? Uh, number one, get more educated, um, open your eyes, 
become aware, but yeah. awareness without action doesn't really help anybody become mm-hmm. aware. And Jessica and I would humbly submit our book, men fight for me. Yeah. Um, there's a thorough breakdown of what the problem is. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of survivors sharing their life and their story. Jessica goes into courageously goes into quite a bit of depth into her story in the book. Um, we've created a little website called fightforme.net where you can get other resources. There's other books and the survivors are, have the other things that they're doing. Um, get a little more aware, a little more educated, and then not too much because the, it's a nine one one. We got to get going. Um, in chapter four of the book, we do talk about it's called man to man. It's me and my male voice um, challenging men to live into, step into uh, an authentic version of masculinity. We break it down. What's a real man? No one knows. Is it a certain age? Is it when he has sex? He gets married, graduates from something. What is it? Nobody knows. There's no definition. So we break it down. We, we give a definition. Here's what it means to be a real man. And so the answer is get enough men to cross over the tipping point and step into a healthy, strong version of masculinity and then confront those who aren't. And spoil alert, it starts in the home. It starts by us guys looking in the mirror, taking a good, honest look at our life, at our actions, what we're doing. And then make sure we're the right husband, the right kind of father. Our little girls and little boys are desperately in need of strong, healthy picture of what it means to, to coexist with uh, authentic, powerful men in the world. Your little boy needs to know, oh, so that's what it looks like. Your little girls need to understand, oh, so I can be expected to be treated because I saw you treat my mom or the, the server at the restaurant. Just the way that we do it, the way we live life. And that's the micro starts in the home. And there's all kinds of things we can do, vote certain ways in elections. Um, you know, we're going to have to stop some things that are contributing to the dark beast, the big, ugly beast of exploitation. And you mentioned pornography. You know what? I don't know what the stats are. 80 or 90 percent of men are looking at pornography, if not all the way down the, the addiction path. What they don't know. The average knucklehead after hours looking at his computer or phone or something, his wife's in bed doesn't know there's no way to know who on that screen is there truly consensually and who is there against their will and we know this that most are experiencing some kind of coercion or exploitation if not actually trafficked in meaning they have no choice whatsoever they're actually forced to be there they're being raped over and over again and now us guys are sitting there achieving some kind of gratification or enjoyment i'm watching somebody get raped like, are you kidding me? There should be a yellow police tape around your computer. It's a crime scene. Yeah. Pornography is an actual crime scene. It's infested with rape videos and there's no way of knowing which ones are, which ones aren't. And many, if not most are. So guys, I mean, it's a much bigger conversation. We got to come back for five or more podcasts. <laughs> but the, the, the question is step up and be a man. Yeah. Let's go guys. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. We can do this. Jessica, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> Alan said it all, you know, (laughs) he does it so well. So um, just saying to that too, Alan, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit. Okay. You know, Um, so even like from early on, not having too many great male role models or anything like that. I have my grandfather, but culturally it was very difficult for him to step up in certain ways. And he did try. That's like a whole other conversation. Um, But over the years, I've like accumulated a few family members like along the way and Alan and his awesome wife and awesome children are my family um, to the point where this is a man that was like, I know you probably don't think you need it or want it or whatever, but I'm here, palms up, ready. He just wanted to get to know me. And he has had such a big influence on my life and my daughter's life because it was very difficult raising a young lady. And he's been what's the best way to say it? Like the epitome of what an authentic masculine man should be. I'm not saying it because he's author and we work together yeah, yeah. as an actual person. You know, he's shown something. I don't really trust men. I don't trust really anyone. Even at the age I am today, it's very difficult for me. However, he was always palms up and I trust him 100% with my life and my child's life. If something were to, you know, ever occur. And so him coming to speak, you know, to pull me into this book and was like, Hey, like, can we have this conversation? Like I got the honor to do this with him and I'm not a man. I can't speak into masculinity because I'm not a man, but I could give my perspective and my, you know, the other contributors could give their perspectives. And 
in this book, there's just so many things like going back to with my grandfather, where there were some things he didn't know what to do because that's not how he was raised. Um, there are a little bit of a spoil alert along the way. There are different ways of exercising your authentic, healthy masculinity. And that's what's so great about it. Because if someone were to step up and really say a man to step up and say, nope, not you, not today. Let's go get it together. You know, I think my life would have been a lot better, a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and that, I think that's one of the big things we try to give to the kids too, is like men are safe and men are okay too. Like there's always a few bad apples in a bunch. You know, there are some bad women, there's some bad men there, you know, there's just inherently like bad people in the world, unfortunately, yeah. for one circumstance or another, but all men are not bad. And Alan was one of those people that was like, I'm going to show you no matter how long it takes. And that's what won me over personally um, is because he's always been exactly who he's shown to be. It's not what he says, it's what he shows. And so, and I think that's a really big part of it too, is, you know, a lot of kids that we, that we work with and including myself and some of my friends, we've give, we've been given so many verbal promises of safety and respect and love and all these different things, but there's so little action, what Alan was kind of speaking, you know, into as well. And that's the thing is what I've seen with the healthy men in my life is they are action-based. They're like, let's do it. Let's go for it. And that's something that's really restorative, especially to a young person, a young lady, a woman that has seen so much hell on this earth. And to see someone kind of be a light where it's like, oh, you all are not bad. Yeah. Oh, this is okay. That's part of the restorative process is to see that there is, even if it's only one person that, oh, I can trust you. So everyone else may have messed up, but this person is good. And that's what, Alan is one of those people for me. It's very few people I can probably count on one hand. It's very few people and he's one of them, but it was his action, not so much his words. It was his action. Yeah. Well, and, and sadly guys, I'll just mention quickly. Um, the bar is so low for us guys to jump over because of the horrific actions and attitudes of men in the media of men in leadership around the country, if not the world in your community, uh, the bar is really low. Like we're not asking anyone to do brain surgery here to look a, a woman of any age in the eye, say please and thank you and don't expect anything in return. Whoa, that's that's like, that's crazy. Like, like we can do this guys. Yeah. You know, well, it's not that hard. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Alan, um, I think that our audience uh, for the most part is gonna be folks who are, are good dads, uh, who are, are raising good families, who are trying to be, uh, raise up a greater generation. Uh, and I would say that like myself and speaking for myself and my Ethan here, cause I know him, uh, that we are trying to be great men and we're trying to do that best in our families. But what, but my question for you is, and I think this is where the saving innocence project comes in. And I'd, I'd love for you to talk about that is what is that step that we can do to help those that are outside of our sphere? Uh, how do I step in and, and help use my masculinity and use my protective nature because I want to protect those in my community. I don't know anybody who's trafficked. I don't know anybody uh, who's in that situation. I mean, I, I, I've in my own realm and I'm, I'm loving my family, but how do I step outside of that? And maybe talk yeah. about your Saving Innocence project. And that's exactly the right question to ask. Um, most most men are not, they're, they're decent people. They're out trying to do the right things. Most men are that way for sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to answer that. Um, I, I would say on a practical level, let me back up. You asked about saving innocence. Oh, so yeah. we're, we're contracted by LA County. That's where we're in Los Angeles on the ground um, to respond anywhere within 90 minutes when a child victim of sex trafficking is um, identified. And so we have a team of advocates, case manager advocates that are these rock star ladies and they, and they take turn being on call and they go out in the middle of the night and get this child to safety and then everything that she needs. And then we walk with her six, 12, 18 months, maybe as long as it takes till she doesn't need us anymore. And um, we have a number of um, survivors. Uh, we call them lived experience experts and they bring in their perspective. I, I told Jessica, she has a PhD in, an honorary PhD in trafficking. And oh, we, gosh. Have, <laughs> we have three others, two others, three others um, on our staff that and that's, have that same background. And, um, you know, so, so we're getting to the place, um, 
where what can good, decent men do? I'm not out buying sex. I don't look at pornography. I, I care about this. What can I do? Yep. And I say, what can you do? Like, what do you know? What are your talents? What are your gifts? Where'd you go to school? What's your education? What's your bank account look like? Like, how can you help? Take whatever it is that you are and do and are good at and now shift it slightly and focus it towards the good side of this solution. So like you guys have a podcast. That's one easy thing you can do. You didn't start a podcast for us. You're already doing it. And you invited us to join you. Simple. Like that's easy thing for you to do. Yeah. Now we'll be a little harder. I, I would ask every man or man, woman, whoever, uh, Google the, you know, the, the, the rabbit hole of Google, um, anti-trafficking agency near me or something like that. Go to their website, find out, call them. What do you guys need? And then do your best to meet that need. Even if you don't even ask them that next time you go to your grocery store, find out from their website or a phone call, how many staff they have eight, six, eight, 10, 12, 15, 20, whatever, whatever it is. And then buy that many Starbucks gift cards or some kind of a gift card, send them in the mail with a note. Thank you so much for being in this fight. Um, we're with you. We're, we see you. That'll mean the world. I mean, you could just little things like that that take almost no effort whatsoever. You can come alongside and do it. And then the bigger part of the bigger solution is I challenge men to look in the mirror and get their life in sync with a non-exploitive culture, the kind of society and world you want your daughter to grow up into. Like it first has to resonate in our heart and our mind. And we got to probably not, not look at certain websites. We probably got to just excuse ourselves from conversations with the guys and the things they're joking about. We certainly got to, we, we certainly got to walk away from pornography and anything more like that. And then see how many good men you can get to join you with that. Get this book, read it with your guys, read it. If you have teenage boys, read it with your teenage boys, discuss it. And it's notable to say that the proceeds are benefiting survivors of sex trafficking. So I can very unapologetically say everybody should buy a case of these doggone books <laughs> yes. at fightforme.net. Give them out like candy. Christmas will be here before you know. Give them to everyone on your list. And um, one one man at a time, one community at a time, uh, we can change the world. And I believe that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be trying it. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a couple of things that have been said. One from each of you that, that, that I really kind of latched on to, and it was... Uh, you know, the first one, Jessica, yours was uh, that you found a uh, something that was that w- that you hadn't experienced before, and that was like a, a man of action, a man that that was just actively engaged in what they were doing and what you were doing, and 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 what was what was going on. And then, Alan, you had come in and you said, you know, being able to to look a woman in the eye and say, you know, please or thank you, and and, and not expect anything specifically in return. Just, just to have that that connection with someone that's you know not exploitative in, in in any way, and that was kind of two things that stuck with me and saying, well, how can I better myself and number one become a better man of action? Because I think uh, I think a, a, a passive person, to me, a lot of times not doing anything is just as bad as doing something bad. Um, and, and so being a man of action and then being a man that doesn't expect things in return for, for everything. And, and I even kind of brought that all the way down to, to my home and with my wife, right? Am I treating my wife in a way that is, you know, and I love my wife dearly and I, I am so, so grateful and appreciative of everything that she does, but are there things that I do that maybe are uh, kind of overstep those bounds and expect things that, uh, you know, maybe is it go, goes above and beyond just the appreciation and, and everything else. How how can I kind of give a better example in my life and to to my children? I have three boys and one girl, and um, so there's just a couple of things that that really stuck with me that I really enjoyed. So thank you for that. Well, and I'll let Jess chime in in a second, but I was just gonna say between the two of you, you have eight children, eight little humans that are uh, on, on the little clay mold. You're molding them and. I don't know what age. They're probably not that old based on- They're real little, age. yeah. All under eight years old. Yep. Perfect. That's phenomenal. You've got so much. And right now, you guys are superheroes. Like, they have nothing on their calendar. <laughs> They're ready to do whatever you want to do with them. It's phenomenal. It's a great age. Those those little boys, absolutely. Like, this comes back to the bigger macro question of what can good men do? Treat your young boys. Teach them, not treat them teach them how to respect women at an age appropriate way, how to respect the women in this world. That's absolutely critical. 
those aren't going to be buyers. They're not going to be sellers. You're going to be adding to society part of the solution. Good young men who know what it means. And you celebrate it when you see it. You correct it when you don't. And you're walking with them now. You're going to have them in your house for the next 10 years, at least, depending on how old they are. What a great laboratory. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, your little girls, oh, man, they're being lied to. And they're, they're probably too young to really be on social media, that kind of stuff, but they will be soon. Um, they are being lied to, absolute lied to in terms of their worth and their value and, the, and the, somebody else's perception of beauty. And they're so young now, they're still impressionable. You guys can write that narrative in a way that get, grows them up with confidence and strength. And they know that they're beautiful inside and out. If you let the world teach your children what it means to be young men and women in this culture, um, they're going down a path of destruction. And I would say I totally agree that if you see something bad happening in society, in culture, in your neighborhood, in your family, whatever it might be, you see it and you don't do anything about it, then you're complicit in that bad thing that you can see. You're complicit in making it happen because you're allowing it to happen. And that's where we need strong men to say no more. We're done with this. We can't. The answer is no. And uh, before I wind up, I'll say I spoke at something recently. This is something that parents and dads and parents can do, answering that bigger question. And I, I spoke at something and I showed the one minute, a one minute video clip. We've all seen versions of this, you know, National Geographic, it, the jungle over in Africa. And it's, it's talking about predators. The big words fill the screen, predators. And it's showing what predators do. And it shows this lion down low, moving slowly, slinking downwind, and he's waiting for his prey. There's a strategy to it. There's a plan. He's not making it up. He was born with this idea of what it means to be a predator. And then the herd of buffalo or zebra go running by. And in that video clip, you've seen him. Does he jump on the first one, the strong one, the confident one, the leader? No. He waits in the grass. And for when that small, unaware falls behind, he jumps on that one and devours that one. So what can we do? What can good, good guys and good women do? Raise your children to be strong, confident, and aware. And don't shy away from the fact that they're actual our predators. FBI told us there's at least a million predators online at any given time. Your kids aren't online yet, but they will be. There's a million, at least a million, people that are pretending to be one thing, one person, one age, but they're something different. And they're trying to lure those, they're, they're predators. And they're yep. doing the exact same thing that the, the animal kingdom does. So moms and dads, you got a big job ahead of you. Have your kids be strong, confident, and aware. That's the best thing you can do. Yeah, and I, I think I would add to that to be increasingly vigilant. Uh, yeah. I think sometimes uh, there is a, uh, a symptom uh, that even exists within uh, that I've experienced recently where, you know, we, we, Ethan and I are both Christian men, uh, and sometimes within the realm of Christian men, uh, men are too nice, uh, sometimes in my opinion. And so sometimes they will get a predator uh, who is trying to uh, prey on people, and they are too nice to stand up. Uh, and you know, in my opinion, what good is it to be have all these morals and be courageous in word, but then when you actually come up against someone who is a predator or doing something that's wrong— you don't stand up because you say, "Oh well, you know that person's a that person's a child of God, so I'm not going to say anything about that." Or you know, and it's like, "Well, we got to stand up." I, I think that part of it is that you have to fight. Like part of your book title says, "Men fight for me." It's not men, you know, say that you know support me uh, in your words only. It's fight, and sometimes that means uh, taking action and standing up to people and saying, "Hey, this is wrong. You're wrong," uh, and, and having uncomfortable conversations. Uh, yep. having, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, stepping into a situation where it's very uncomfortable, uh, very awkward. Uh, you know, honestly, my wife and I have, have recently experienced something like this, uh, where there's been a predator. Uh, we've had to stand up against this situation uh, and, and lots of people, um, you know, they just kind of brushed it off and said, no, it's fine. But, uh, you know, we're said, no, it's not fine. Uh, no. And it's not fine for anybody else here. And just because, you know, we were with a, one of the first targets or my wife was the first target, it doesn't mean it's not going to be somebody else in their near future. So uh, you got to fight. Uh, for, and, for, and if you didn't confront that predator, then his next victim is on you. Yep. 
And we, we need people to understand that. You know, one of the great Christians of all time, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, the famous German theologian, he, he actually tried to uh, attempted to assassinate Adolf Hitler. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like well, okay, so that's a man of action. He saw yeah. an evil, and the only way he could try to try to stamp it out would be to assassinate the man. I, you know, I don't know. That's pretty. I, I, I that's pretty awesome. I love that. Uh, he didn't succeed, so I don't love that. But. <laughs> <laughs> the world would have been a different up. place for sure. Yeah, but yeah, you got to fight, take action, and not just in words only. It's easy to say in words only, and I think a lot of times people. You know, they're so oblivious to that this kind of thing can even happen that they're like, oh, no, I'm sure that it's just this or I'm sure that it's just that. And you guys are in a, a seat right now where you see all of this stuff happening in uh, all these situations. Like Jessica, you were saying earlier, a young woman was being exploited by both her dad and her mother. Uh, that is almost un I can't even imagine how that would have even happened. And I think a lot of times these predators are out there uh, doing things that people would be absolutely shocked if they knew what everybody around them was doing and, and what was happening. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, and this is one of the things is, you know, at like, as people, like if we see parents doing something that's not quite right or whatever, people have a tendency to look the other way. I think part of it is just like how society has brought us up over the years. You know, things have basically changed where it's, yeah, you say something, no, you don't say anything, that's not your business. What happens in this house stays in this house. There's a lot of like secrecy and stay quiet, Yeah. you know? Um, like we've seen, you know, crimes happen in like high population areas and no one actually responded or reacted. You know, a lot of it too is like a stun to the system. And so like with their kids, if they're walking or they're posting, sometimes people are just like, is this, this can't be real. This isn't really happening, but it is. Our kids are hidden in plain sight on these streets. Um, and the culture has kind of changed again, or the dress code or certain things have shifted again. So um, we're seeing a lot more of like flesh being shown and um, them being more, you know, sexually stimulating to the predators or whatever you would like to call it. And one of the things I think that helped me as a parent and because I didn't have, I didn't have a, a, a real good base to start from real good rooting to be a parent. And I was just like, I'm not going to allow what has happened to me happen to my child by any means necessary, I'm going to do my very best. And there are times like I have just failed as a parent. I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to grow up with something. She's going to come back and say something crazy to me, whatever. But my daughter is fully functioning. You know, it's not saying that she's unscathed. You know, she's got great people, a really great support system around her. I've done my best, but one of the biggest things I could have done to her was start having conversations with her as soon as possible. Of course, age appropriate conversations. Yep. That's one of those action items. So, you know, like Alan was saying, you know, get the book. You could sit down and read some of it and spark conversation with your children, you know, over time. Like, is this good or is this bad? Tell me why. Just some of those base conversations because you're getting them to start thinking and moving a certain way. My daughter um, in school, at her school, she started a human trafficking um, club in her, uh, her high school. She started it off and I think they've been carrying it on since she's left. And um, one of the big things she was just like, I would have never thought that that's what happened to you. I would have never thought in a million years. And I remember first telling her first bit of tidbit information. And I remember this young girl, I think she was like 10, was like, you know what? You're so much better than that. Like, you know, just checking me, but it was that, that education piece that started everything. And then I started getting her into classes that were age appropriate, that were going into the schools and stuff at the time. And um, some of the pilot programs we had done with some of our community partners and LA County probation. And my daughter literally has broken so many curses within my family because of that education piece. And that was the action piece. And now my daughter is fighting for our country. And now she's doing something you know, worthwhile or she believes to be worthwhile. And one of the things I remember, because again, I'm not a man, but I knew when she was growing up, I've got to do something so she knows how to be treated somehow, some way. So I would take her on mommy-daughter dates and I would get her in the car. She would get dressed up sometimes or we'd go to the diner or whatever. And I would go and open her door for her. You know, and that's not what women, you know, usually do. Yeah. But I wanted her to feel yeah. 
what it was like to be catered to, to be respected, to be adored, you know, Genu- and I genuinely. Yeah. Genuinely. And it was like, and, but in the back of my mind, I was like, this is so jacked up because her father should be doing this. Her father should be teaching her, you know, what all of that feels like, you know, she should be able to run to her father. A lot of our kids are unable to do that. And so I think we talked about it on a a different, uh, in a different place, Alan, but, um, you know, it, with the community centers or whatever the case is, like, you know, if you see a kid or one of your, your children's friends or whatever, and you see that they're lacking, that is an action piece to pour into them as well. You know, it's like Alan said, it starts at home, but it it branches out with the communication with your amazing wives and and wanting to be better and do better by them. And, you know, and and show your children what a a healthy relationship looks like um, is the communication piece, heavy communication. Um, There's a a couple, a friend that's a couple, they're friends of mine, but they're a couple, Alan, you know them. Um, if the wife is tired, the husband goes and does the dishes. That might be a no brainer to someone, you know, or like, it's just like little things where, as where I grew up, it's like, you're the woman, go do the dishes, get it done now. My food, like very caveman, animalistic. I don't know what you call it. Um, it's just, I think how, I think how our children see us being treated and how, our children see their fathers being treated, that's what's going to help along the way. And then everything else is just adding that weaponry to your your repertoire. Um, and then I do have to say, because some men are lovers and not fighters. Like, you know, we're not telling <laughs> men to go out and swing on everyone yeah. um, and possibly go to jail for assault. Um, <laughs> but just like in certain situations, you know, it's okay to report a crime. It's okay to ask someone if they're okay and making sure that you are safe as well. You can't go blindly into something and get hurt trying to help someone else. Um, Like there's just so many different things. Some of those things we take for granted as human beings. And another one of the things I just want to add to, because sometimes like people say that's not happening in my community, whatever. It happens in in the inner city, but it happens in the suburbs too at a high rate as well. We have kids that have single parents that do have the big houses and are living great, but they're not getting the attention that they need to, to grow into the, the regular functioning person that they are. That's another way a kid can be recruited. Um, there, it's just, there's so many different things. It's just everyday things. But as human beings, we take it for granted. And if people can't see it because they're like, well, the majority of this happens to the black kids in the inner cities, which there's a lot of truth to that, right? Because if you're looking at the inner city, there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of different things that add to like the overall trauma of a person growing up in that area versus someone that grows up in the suburbs, yeah. right? Not saying that it doesn't happen in the suburbs because we know it does. Yeah. Um, but if people can't get past race or gender or cultural belief, whatever it may be, I think the biggest thing is that we have to understand that this is a child thing and this is a human being thing. When we understand that these that human beings are being abused and they're being sold into slavery because it is slavery, what would we do if it was one of our kids and I always thought, what if this was my child? What lengths would I go to to get my child? What lengths would I go to to protect my child? I'm ready to go to jail forever as long as my yeah. child is to, safe. To the right? end of the earth, definitely. Yeah, and so a little long-winded, but it, I just wanted to cover like a few things. And so I, I constantly try to tell people, if you can't see boy, girl, uh, you know, the gender, race, whatever it is, um, just see it as a human being thing. If this continues to happen, then society is going to continue to fall and, and crash and burn. And so, like the kids coming up, these are the chil- these are the people that are going to take care of us when we're old, and then so on and so forth. It's it's a part of it's so much deeper than just one particular person or one particular thing. This is ending general generational curses. This is ending a societal curse that has gone on for so long, and no one ever said anything or has never truly acted on it. So again, it's just a human being thing. Um, and then people could take it whichever way they want to moving from there. So, yeah, I love that. You know, we recently, uh, just actually two weeks ago, we interviewed a couple who, uh, fosters children and we, they talked to us about some of the awful situations in which, uh, you know, they'll get some of these kids, you know, 
wet diaper pajamas that are almost unwearable, uh, and that's it. At, uh, at you know twelve o'clock at night, and just like off off of a whim, you know, yeah. and it's like here, here's this, here's this child. And so we we talked about uh, you know how that is one way that people can get involved, you know, helping support that system. But uh, of these children who are, you know, caught in these situations, and I think that a lot of the, I, I would imagine a lot of these kids who get caught up in sex trafficking, which are might be older than just a young a young baby, uh, in most cases, uh, they come from those environments. Uh, and so maybe fostering is how you supporting that system is maybe how we support these disadvantaged kids. Um, right from the beginning, but uh, you guys are working on those kids that may be stuck in those bad situations uh, up until their teen years, and, and they're looking for validation and love or whatever you want to call it, or they have no idea what their um, what a real man should be or how they should be treated, and they're getting sucked into this uh, sex trafficking realm. Uh, and so I wanted to maybe, you know, Alan, you mentioned, uh, first of all, Buy you guys this book, uh, Men, Fight for Me, uh, The Role of Authentic Masculinity in Ending Sexual uh, Exploitation and Trafficking. So uh, we'll put links to that in the show notes at uh, fightforme.net. You mentioned, Alan, also that people can reach out to their local sex trafficking clubs or or, or groups. Is that something that is pretty common? (laughs) Not clubs, that sounds bad. (laughs) Uh, uh, Volunteer groups that help. Advocate groups. Yes. (laughs) Well, there, yeah, and I don't know every city, and I'm not sure where everyone, all your listeners are, but if you Google anti-trafficking agencies, um, I'm pretty sure that really every major city, there's something along those lines, there's some effort, and um, they are needing resources, and uh, you could encourage them, and you could give them things. Yeah. (laughs) That would be be a huge huge gift. And also you guys who are working in the LA area, I mean, obviously, you guys could use a lot of support. And the effort. That you, can you give us some numbers? How many how many kids do you guys get a week, or or what's the volume? Well, at any given time, we have about 150, 160 open cases of uh, mostly kids, minors that we're in the process of helping them regain their life and their health and their wholeness out of. Um, we, we've um, we've got approximately 2,000 kids that we have helped in our since our in our work in that way. Um, the middle of the night calls that, like I mentioned earlier, we probably get about mm, about two per week, roughly, you know, just like clockwork. And uh, some of these kids are trafficking from other states, other cities. And so a lot of our work for those, because LA is LA, it's a big, uh, you know, big market for everything, including trafficking. So um, those, all those kids that come our way, we don't stay with them very long because we're helping, you know, partnering with FBI and everybody else to get them back to where they, where they're coming from. Wow. But coming alongside and supporting a foster family agency would be a huge way to get involved. And maybe you can't be yourself a foster parent, but you might be able to be in a little group of supporters that, you know, once in a while you show up and drop off at dinner or, you know, um, get certified so you can be with the kids for just, uh, you know, a few hours and let the foster parents go out on a date night, go to a movie or something like that. That's a, that would be huge. And about 80 percent of sex trafficking victims are coming out of the foster care system. They are already in foster care. Wow. So that's, we know where these kids are. We know where these victims are, where these future traffic children are. They're existing in our, in our America's foster care system. The weakest of, of them all basically are in the foster system and, and predators pick up on that and they're exploiting yeah. that. Yeah, no, they've been abused and neglected and damaged in, in so many ways, so much so the government came in and said, we're going to move you from the situation and put you over here to protect you. And that's the group home or the foster family, and they may or may not have the right motives and the right training to do that job yeah. as foster parents. And uh, that child is looking for affection and, and approval and protection and all those things like every you know human wants to be in connection with another human. And like we said earlier, that would-be boyfriend steps in and just he can just see the vulnerability. Yeah, and um, it's a short leap. It's not as big as a leap. It's your listeners should know that all of this is bigger than you think, and is closer to where you're sitting right now than you think. And um, you need to be uh, vigilant. I think one of you guys said the word vigilant earlier. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, this has been extremely eye-opening, and we we both appreciate your uh, your openness, your your advocacy, and your hard work to save those most innocent among us. Um, and, and, and to me, that's kind of those, 
those children, right? They're just growing. They're just learning. And, and people that that take advantage of someone in that that state uh, um, definitely is someone that that uh, should be watched out for and uh, should should be held responsible for their actions. And I think that that speaks to you know a higher level of uh, of being a man. You know, watching over your family uh, is good, uh, but I think that we can step it up more and and start being stewards of our community. Uh, and watching out for those innocents within our community. And that's where really what you guys are advocating for. And I think that that uh, is exactly the type of uh, masculinity that we advocate for here on this podcast is yeah. caring for not just your own, uh, but for those that are around you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, we'd like to we'd like to hear something that we always ask, um, you know, everyone that comes on the podcast, we always ask them about their their personal creed. And a creed is a, a set of beliefs or, or principles that help to guide someone's actions, you know. And we we're wondering if each one of you individually could share a portion of your your own personal creed, your own personal belief that help guide your actions. It could be a, a, a quote or a scripture or a topic or, or something that that is close to your heart that that helps you to get up in the morning and make the right decisions. After you, Jess. <laughs> All right. So I'll make it, I'll make it short and sweet. You know, um, one of the things that gets me up and going every day is that I was put here on this earth with a purpose. I've gone through what I've gone through and there was a purpose. Um, and I, need to do my very best every day, no matter how hard it is. Um, I am an actual, like I am a fighter in I think almost every sense of the word. Um, and so I choose to get up and fight every day. And that's how I've raised my daughter. Even in, when, when you don't feel like it or you feel like all hope is lost, get up and fight every day because each one of us was set here with a purpose. We may not know exactly what it is, however, we will figure it out, we will get aligned and there is a reason why we do what we do. And so I fell into this work, I fell into my relationships, I fell in it, into everything because that was my purpose. You know, that's what God aligned me with and I haven't finished my mission yet. So I'm living every day to step fully into my purpose. Excellent, love that. For, for me, the long answer is, no, I'm not going to give it to you now, but uh, I, another shameless plug in the book, chapter four talks about authentic masculinity. And so my, my goal every day is to live out the four pillars of authentic masculinity. You got to read the book to tease. It's a tease. You got to read the book <laughs> to find out the real definition of a man. But the very short answer is Romans 837 says we are more than conquerors. And so that's sort of a, a mantra to me um, that we, we are conquerors. Uh, we, should live like it we should we should step into that and you can fill in the blank what are you trying to conquer what mountain are you trying trying to climb what beast are you trying to slay whatever metaphor you want to slide in there but uh, the scripture says we're more than conquerors we're not just barely conquerors we're more than that and um that's something that's always been important to me as a kind of a guiding scripture for me yeah that's great love that dropping bombs here uh, <laughs> if we only realized our potential uh, men and women uh, that the Lord sees in us, then I think that we would be, we're capable of, so, of doing so much, doing so much good. Uh, and uh, appreciate both of your examples uh, in, in doing good uh, to others and helping uplift the hands of those who are, uh, you know, downtrodden, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, is there anywhere else where our, uh, I know we, we've talked about the book and, and, and the, uh, uh, location to, to be able to go and find you. Is there any other places that we haven't spoken about where our listeners can find you? Any social media? Yeah, yeah. So follow Saving Innocence. Go to savinginnocence.org and at Saving Innocence on all the social media platforms. Give us a follow and you see something in there. We tell stories and stats and, you know, some of it's kind of training awareness, but uh, updates. So follow Saving Innocence. We also have this book on social media at Fight For Me Book. And um, so follow at Fight For Me Book. And um, again, you see stuff, you put, uh, you know, you know how it works, retreat, refollow, reshare all the things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you can email me off of the website, fightforme.net. There's a way to contact us, a tab at the top. And uh, I get emails from book readers or people all the time. And they're asking other questions. I'd be happy to interact um, with anyone that wanted to talk a little bit deeper about the, this thing called trafficking and masculinity and all the above. Excellent. 
well, we will definitely li- link some of those in the show notes so that folks can find you. We're on uh, Instagram and uh, mostly Instagram and Facebook as well. So we'll, we'll tag in some of our posts uh, for this right. podcast and for this episode and uh, love to, to show our users, uh, listeners, uh, your book and, and share your website and some of those stats and stuff as well. So that'd be great. Yeah, and and I, want you, I want you two guys to read the book. Yes. And if, if you need some help, I'll send you one in the mail. But uh, I want you guys to read it because your kids are too young for you not to be fully equipped. Yes, that, you're you absolutely right. We'd love that. We absolutely love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, personally, for me, is it just kind of talking about these types of things, you know, Jared and I have talked about continually, you know, how can what, what can we do for our kids and, and, and what are different strategies of, of teaching them? And they are still young and they are still growing. And obviously, like, like Jessica said, kind of age appropriate stuff. And at what age do you introduce different things. And so, uh, you know, that's just always something that, that, uh, us, and I'm sure our listeners too, are trying to define, trying to, to, to figure out, you know, w- what's the best way that we can introduce kind of the principles that we are learning on a daily basis and, and through yeah. the podcast to apply to the, 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 creeds of our children and our family creed and, and, and growing that personally. So, uh, you know, thank you both for, for coming on the podcast, for sharing your, your ideas, your thoughts. And, and, um, I, I'm sure that the, the listeners out there have definitely gained a, a greater insight off of off of your experiences. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And for all of our listeners out there, and you guys are invited too to let's let's build our creed together. All right, thank you.